Hey, welcome to your old soul. Speedy, the old phrase of the day is pumped a lot of tain. Wow. Pumped a lot of tain. This is a reference to the queen of rock and roll, Tina Turner. May she rest in peace. Yes. It's an often misheard lyric. And for the first time in the history of our podcast, I don't really know what the answer is. But we can explore it together because I've looked at some internet theories. But do you... Okay, let me... Let me. Wait, do you have a guess without I, me giving any more context? But pumped a lot of tain. That's so funny. First of all, uh, it just sounds like a lot of fun, and it sounds like something I'd like to do. Uh, you might regret saying that. Oh, will I? Based on internet theories. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but I think you're probably safe. This is just one theory. I think it's wrong, though. Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, my my so, guess that isn't yeah. going to be correct. Uh, tain. The only time I hear that is if. <laughs> Is is the shampoo mane and tail? So I, I that makes me think that she's pumping out a lot of mane and tail, and she's about she's a, doing shampoo. She's doing she's, shampoo. I mean, she does she's, have famous hair. She has a famous hair, and she's she's really she's getting ready for, for the night. She's she's pumping a lot of tain from the old shampoo bottle. That's my theory. Wait, wait, is tain a type of shampoo? Well, mane and tail. Oh no, wait, so that doesn't say you're, that doesn't involve tain at all. I'm You're just com- combining mane and tail? <laughs> I guess that's what my brain did. Yep. She's pumping okay, a lot so of you, tain. You you think that Tina Turner, <laughs> when she, may she rest in peace, was getting ready to go out on the town as one of the most iconic singers of all time, she would be like, fetch me my tain. And everyone knew that's her uh, combination of mane and tail that she invented. <laughs> she She's a Tina Turner. She didn't have time to say the whole shampoo. Or she's By the a way, busy the woman. That, do you think Tina Turner, like, to get hair that immaculate was using, like, the shampoo that we use? <laughs> she's like, I need my head and shoulders and my tain. And my tain. <laughs> I... And my L'Oreal for kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my no mere... Oh, my... Wow, I can't speak at all today. My no more tears shampoo... Like, you know. Yes, my baby <laughs> shampoo from J&J, so I don't yeah. have to cry, which I call my Bonson and Bonson shampoo, my Johnson and Johnson baby. All right, that was a terrible joke. Anyway, let me tell you what it is now that we've wasted time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pumped a lot of tain. I'm going to read it. Maybe I'll sing it from the lyrics that it comes from in a song uh, originally written by John Fogarty in Creedence Clearwater Revival, but then famously covered by Ike and Tina Turner. It says... Cleaned a lot of plates in Memphis. Pumped a lot of tain down in New Orleans. Hmm. It's it's Bradbury, you know. Brad Oh, oh I know, see. You know? Yes. Cleaned a lot of plates in Memphis. Pumped a lot of tain down in New Orleans. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. I okay. Big wheels keep on turning. Bradbury keep on burning. Rolling. Hey. Rolling. <laughs> Are you, fo- are you following this? Do you know this? You- mm-hmm. Yeah, and, but I'm understanding now that I, I probably don't want to pump Tane to, to my great disappointment. I don't. Well, <sighs> okay. So, so, so the original lyric that John Fogarty says is pumped a lot of pain, like propane. Oh. And that was understood. <laughs> but Tina Turner says Tane. So I've looked on internet theories. Some people think she means octane, mm. which could mean like pumping gas, but I don't. Hmm. I don't know what, but what why? Uh, makes up gas. I don't think there's called octane a lot of times. So that's weird. Hmm. 
There's another theory that's a lot dirtier that she's saying tang, oh. which can be a slang. Um, this is a friendly podcast. This um, is a friendly podcast. I mean... Do the math. Yes, just do the math. There's something else I was going to say about another word in the phrase that I think can go to dirtier yes. places. Yes. The, so, you're talking about the word pumped? This is what I'm talking about, yes. Yes. So that's why a lot of people think it's dirty. Um, I don't know, and I don't want to know. I just know that nobody seems to know. <laughs> but it's like one of the most famous songs ever, and everyone just says it. And nobody knows what it means. Wow. But if you're an old soul at gmail.com, if you have definitive proof or a hot take or an opinion on what Tina Turner is saying in her version of Proud Mary. And if you have pumped Tain in the past, we would love to yes. hear about your experience. We would love to do a Dirty Jobs episode without the normal Discovery crew, just me and Speedy exploring different jobs in America. And this one would be pumping octane octane we would learn what that's like yeah which is usually only a job in new jersey because that's the only state besides for i think alaska that has gas pumped but yes in you know, fact, otherwise it's not really a job right d at the time that the song came out did that exist in new um, orleans that's a great point i don't know if you're not sold at gmail.com if you were uh, uh, around in the in the 60s and you know if they were gas pumping jobs back then in louisiana because to my understanding it was only just new jersey that was in the continental u.s that had gas pumping jobs so let us know it's not that important but i sure <laughs> would sleep at night again if i knew <laughs> that's uh, true anyway, if no let's... one emails us i'm gonna be a wreck <laughs> yeah oh. please help i'm getting married in a week and i need a simpler mind help me. <laughs> tame it tame my tame Yes. Will you tame my tame? <laughs> tame Danny's tame before his wedding. <laughs> my tame is oh so untamed. Help me contain my tame. Contain the tame. <sighs> before we move on, let us please uh, say some nice words about Tina Turner, not just this one random lyric, uh, because she is a queen of rock and roll, a two-time Hall of Famer. She probably has like the greatest comeback story in music history. Definitely has the case for someone that was uh, famous with Ike Turner and was a victim of abuse and then came back nearly 10 years later and became one of the highest selling recording artists and touring artists of all time. So in the era that we're in, where we are talking a lot about uh, abuse and women surviving crappy things that men do, uh, Tina Turner has one of the more relatable stories to the era that we're in now and the Me Too movement that we just went through. She is somebody that a lot of people can look up to and, and should read about and learn about. I'm realizing I have a lot to learn about Tina Turner. And I'm realizing, like, I didn't know that, like, Mick Jagger got his dance moves from her, you know? I, I didn't know that <laughs> either, no. But when you hear it, you're like, oh. I mean, I... Yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, he seems to be imitating someone who could actually dance. He's just kind of <laughs> doing his best and just looks awkwardly entertaining, right? Right. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and she, too, I mean, her name, I think as a kid, I almost thought that she was 
not like a like a mythical figure, but she's just such a legend. You know, you hear Tina Turner, yes. Elvis Presley, like she's just up there with a household name that just is referenced. Like she almost didn't feel real. I mean, and to reach those types of of heights after you know everything that she went through, which I'm looking forward to learning more about. Like you're saying, um, you know, it's just an incredible feat, and especially for the time, of course. No. Yeah, well, she, she like, stopped touring before we were, like, adults. So we didn't really yeah. have a chance to truly process her from any other point of her just being a legend that we were told was awesome. Yeah. And, like, was iconic. I remember watching her get inducted to the Kennedy Center honors because that's, like, the Super Bowl of my household. But that was, like, 2005. So other than her having, like, a musical about her in the last decade... It's like she wasn't doing that many things, but she like hit her prime in like her mid 40s. Wow. And not many women in music or movies can say that. And that's because we have a crappy business model. Right. But <laughs> she's just like so influential in so many ways, so inspiring in so many ways um, that she definitely pumped a lot of Tane into <laughs> the zeitgeist of American music and inspired a lot of people. And we say rest in peace. To the queen of rock and roll. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I mentioned that she was inducted in the Rock and Roll of Fame twice. And the last time was in 21. And on that note, I do want to get to the Rock and Roll of Fame nomination this year. Petey, it feels like the funniest circle of life moment ever. You and I used to jam out to Kate Bush so much. Yes. <laughs> in college. Yes. And we were like... Well, no one like in America knows her that well, but we like her, and it'll be our little thing. And then like one little show about teenage teenagers like uh, going into another dimension, and there's uh, new Voldemort, and uh, <laughs> there's other Voldemort, and uh, Waffle Girl, and um, sorry, eleven. And and then suddenly, like Kate Bush is just in the Hall of Fame within a year. Right. That that's all it took was a TV show. And now, bam. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Oh, she, yeah. She was influential. Yeah. She always has been, guys. Speedy and I knew that when we were really cool in college. <laughs> when we were at the University of Miami, which is known for its people that love eclectic English music in 1970. <laughs> That's what you do in Miami, right? You go down there to sing about Wuthering Heights. Yep. We did. <laughs> I know we're we're usually just so uh, alone in the things that we like. <laughs> alone, we're so alone together. You're <laughs> so alone if together. If you're an old soul at gmail.com, if you feel alone together with us about songs and nobody else is talking about. <laughs> but yeah, but now that something has also, if if her tain has been pumped into the zeitgeist and we were already there, we're like guys, we had the tain. We were pumping we tain this tain. whole time. We've been tained for years. Yes. Catch up, America. <laughs> well, we're happy of her. And the thing I can't get over um, is the idea that Kate Bush is their chance to get young people to watch. Right? Wait. Wait. I don't understand. Like, I'm saying, <laughs> that this is my guess. This is just my opinion. But my guess is that the people who run the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame are oh. excited about having Kate Bush on the list. Yes. Who had been nominated multiple times beforehand. 
because Kate Bush could be their key to ensuring the next generation of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame enthusiasts. That it's, hey, we have a chance at getting 15-year-olds because Kate Bush is here. That's wild. That is actually right? wild. Like, what I'm saying, like, it's not like, it's not Bieber. It's not Dua Lipa. Right. It's, it's Kate Bush. Kate Bush. <laughs> who, like, you and I were singing at karaoke, scaring the crap out of people. <laughs> <laughs> nobody knew what we were doing. And now... And Mothering Heights like, is like a, a five-minute song. <laughs> yeah. The future is here because we have Kate Bush. Yes. On a list that has Cheryl Crow and Missy Elliott. Right. Right. Kate Bush. Kate Bush brings in the youth. Brings in the youth. That's right. She's like Wow. If she was doing stand up, she'd be getting every gig because they'd be like, she brings people. Like young people follow her. We bring, put her on the show because Kate Bush is gonna bring like twenty young people to the show. Yeah. Kate Bush has that kind of pull. <laughs> and it's it's lovely. Yeah. I'm so happy about it. Oh, yeah. And it's wild, too. I mean, when you say Cheryl Crow and Missy Elliott, that is making me realize, oh, I guess for young folks, those people are kind of old now. Legends? Yeah. Are they, we calling them legends? Right. They're on the legend level. They are not. Yeah. They're not the pole. I'm having a, a crisis here, so I have to yeah. process for a minute. But well, thankfully, you know Willie Nelson's on the list too. So right, there's at they're least ru- some... they're running a wide range of ages here. <laughs> we got Kate Bush, Cheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, George Michael, Willie Nelson, Rage Against the Machine, and the Spinners. Who? Oh, if any young people are listening, uh, they are in I think Avengers: Infinity War because you know Guardians of the Galaxy always have like old music. The playing whenever they appear, and they use the song Rubber Band Man by the Spinners. So oh. you know them that way. Do you think that they could be a pull for the youth as well then? Because they are also having a resurgence through Guardians a little bit. I mean, it's not like the kids are talking about the Spinners, but they would recognize the song. But they should be. They I'm should just, be. So my goal is always to explain to people why they should care. When they're like, that's old. Why should I give a crap? Then I come in and I'm like, no, like, like, okay, like the person I'm going to play an interview from later today, uh, Tommy James, so Tommy James and the Shondells. I presented that interview on air and I had to be like, okay, guys, I know you don't know who this man is, probably, unless you're like me, but he wrote Moni Moni, which all of you know, uh, and he had the first hit. He went to number one with Hanky Panky, like my baby does the Hanky Panky, and he originated I Think We're Alone Now. So, like, this guy has all these songs that you definitely know. Like, he wrote Crimson and Clover. Like, you definitely know him. You just don't realize it. So, my goal is always, like, I promise you should care. We should rename this podcast instead of If You're an Old Soul. I promise promise you you should should care care with Danny and Speedy. (laughs) Wow. Actually, not a bad rebranding. I promise you should care. (laughs) I promise you should care. (laughs) We're so off topic and we're, we're, like, we're I'm not, I'm not gonna say I'm running heavy, but of course you and I always talk more than I think we're gonna talk. Yeah. Tina and I, I watched Dirty Dancing for the first time last okay. night. Uh, Tina, your fiance, not Tina Turner, to clarify for uh, listeners oh, at home. Oh, you meant my fiance Tina or Tina Turner? I was clarifying that you just now meant your meant your fiance Tina. Oh, that's a. Oh, did I say that? Oh, 
Thank you so much. I did that didn't even occur to me. Thank you. That <laughs> that was a thought I had a couple times this week, and I was like, I have never heard the, my fiance's name said so many times. <laughs> She's always the only Tina. Like we've never met another Tina. Yeah, I've never met another Tina that I can think no, it's of. It's just Bob's Burgers. And then like this whole week, it's been like Tina, 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 Tina. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know. But then I'm like, oh, right, yeah. Sorry, that was my very loud straw. I have a straw. Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, th- this could be the ASMR uh, mid-podcast break oh. if you want to take another Danny slurp. take the water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm making bubbles. Can you hear it? Oh, oh yes. Quite loudly, actually. Hmm. A formidable sound. A sonic experience. <laughs> um, anyway, we watched Dirty Dancing last night for the first time. I've never seen it before. Have you seen that movie? Oh, no. I was just talking to my roommate about that, that that's a classic that I have not seen. And for me, I did not see it because as a kid, I considered it too modern of a movie. Because... <laughs> 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 I was like, oh, like that's like a Patrick Swayze movie. Oh, I don't, I don't watch stuff like that, you know. 1987? That's true. Who has the time? Who has the time? I need to watch Gidget Hawaiian. I can't be watching that. I'm dead. Um, um, but I need your reaction. I need to know what you thought. Should I should well, I watch we, Dirty Dancing? Oh God! So I can relate probably, to the youth of America. It should be its own episode. Like we're wasting an opportunity to to bash a movie that's like uh, thirty five years old. But <laughs> um, it's so bad, but oh, so entertaining. It? Like if it was on, it's just one of those movies. Like this isn't a thing anymore. But you'll understand this if you're our age, but like or older. But like. If it was on cable, like I'm turning it off. <laughs> like it's a it's a great cable movie, but it's so I've never seen a movie that's so aggressively Jewish <laughs> and never says Jewish once. Really? So yeah, I don't know anything about the movie. It's written by a Jewish woman. Uh, it's starring Jennifer Grey, who is the daughter of Joel Grey from Cabaret. It's like supposed to take place in the Catskills. It's based on the writers childhood loosely going to the Catskills with her father who was a doctor and seeing all these dancers and wanting to get into dirty dancing like it's it's the movie is a literal like it's a sexual awakening through gyrating in like the early 60s that is the movie wow it's Patrick's like it's basically Jennifer Grey plays an 18 year old going into this mounts like like this Catskills mountain resort with her parents in the summertime and basically, like, her seeing Patrick Swayze for the first time being like, I am a woman. <laughs> I came in here saying, Daddy. And, like, I was like, I love you, Daddy. And she had, like, a long dress. And then all of a sudden, she sees Patrick Swayze. And she's like, I have to die. I have to gyrate. <laughs> the whole movie is just people just, like, dancing. The weird, like, there's just no, I, I wasn't around. If you're an old soul at gmail.com. But there's just no way people were dancing that sexually in the early 1960s. Like it's literally dirty dancing. Like I thought it was just like a fun phrase. The movie is so physical. I like. I'm, oh, I'm just really? Like, yes. And then the plot. Can I give away the plot? Sure, sure. If you're an old soul at gmail.com, uh, if I if I spoiled it for you, I'm sorry. The plot of the movie. <laughs> I didn't know this, and we'll get back to what we were talking about in a second. The plot of Dirty Dancing. Because <laughs> I knew. Because I knew. I knew it's that it ends. With a big dance scene, and it's the time of my life, right? Mm. As I had the time of my life. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. She gets lifted. There's a big. I was right. Like, well, why does she have this big dance scene? Like, what? What's building to it? Here's why. 
Patrick Swayze has a dance partner who's a rockette, but for some reason they've never dated and they're not in love. He just has a six foot blonde, like extremely nice person dance partner. And she uh, is pregnant because she hooked up with this waiter who is so clearly Jewish and the bad guy. <laughs> like, like his, his name is Robbie Gould in the movie. And then the actor's name is like Max Cantor. Like so obviously Jewish and therefore uh, he's the bad guy in the movie that's supposed to be about us. Uh, and basically uh, he's terrible and he gets her pregnant and then uh, she needs an abortion. But in order, she needs money to get that abortion. So Jennifer Grey asks her doctor father, who's there, uh, Doctor Hausman, also Jewish, uh, for money, two hundred fifty dollars in nineteen sixty, like three, so <clears throat> her friend can get an abortion. But then, since the dance partner has to get an abortion that night, um, Jennifer Grey needs to take her place in some dance routine at some random hotel with Patrick Swayze, and the movie becomes uh... Patrick Swayze teaching her how to dance. So that she can take the place of his dance partner that he's not in love with, so she can get an abortion that came from this crappy guy. Uh, so, so she gives her two hundred fifty dollars from her father, and then must dance at this hotel, and then it ends at like a talent show. That is the plot to Dirty Dancing. This poor woman. It's the wildest plot about an eighteen-year-old. Oh my god! Why? <laughs> what is the plot to this movie? <laughs> I just wanted to see singing and dancing. Yeah, and, and on that note, I would watch it again in a heartbeat. It's such a good chill, hang vibe. Like, you just go to the Catskills, you're with Patrick Swayze, uh, you're dancing, they're, like, exclusively playing, like, Otis Redding the entire movie, and then, oh, this is my favorite part. Last spoil. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then we can move on. Last thing I want to say. Um, so, the whole movie, they're just dancing the 60s music. Like They're playing, like, songs from the 60s, they're dancing, they have record players, it's great. In the final scene. I like Danny's definition of what's great. There's dancing. They have record players. Great. <laughs> this is all I need in life. Record players with old music and dancing. This is all I want. If you, Please care. Please care. <laughs> please uh, care. Please I care. promise you, you need should to care. care about this. Yes. I promise you should care. Um, the final scene of the movie, after a whole film of playing records on like a record player... And then they like they dance to it, and it's synchronized, and it's all choreographed, and it looks good. The final scene of the movie, when they play this iconic song that won the Oscar for best song, I've had the time of my life, you know, I've had the time of my life, and I've never felt this way before, and I swear this is true, and I owe it all to you, 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 you. Um, ding, 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 ding. No. ding, 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 ding. Yeah, sorry, I had to do Black Eyed Peas there for a second. See, we get it. <laughs> We're hip. We knew the Black Eyed Peas covered that remix, that song. We knew. We knew. Um, in the final scene, when they play that song, they have their big dance, and she gets lifted by Patrick Swayze in his iconic shot. They play it on a record in the movie. The, the guy, like the DJ, which is his cousin, puts the record on the record player and then puts the needle down and then a song from 1987 comes on. Oh. And they're just, like, in their synthesizers. You know, it's like, dum, 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 d
those are 80s techno instruments and like they're just like oh what is this this is such a good song, <laughs> this is a song. in the 1963 and fucking 80s techno is on and they're dancing to it and no one thinks that it's weird and they're just <laughs> playing this record that's from 25 years later not to mention the guy who's singing the song is Bill Medley from the Righteous Brothers, who was a very famous recording artist at that point in real life. And he's just on this song from 25 years later, and there's techno music on it. And I'm just like, why is this not weird? (laughs) (sighs) Oh, Danny. Danny, Danny, take a breath. Take some water. Slurp that water. (sighs) Bubbles, 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 bubbles. (laughs) Bubbles, 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 bubbles. (laughs) <laughs> I did not know we were going to do a 10-minute tangent about third dancing. I just, I was like, I don't, and oh, and this is the best thing. And then, because at the end of that song, horns come in, all of a sudden the band, there's a band there, I guess, and the band starts playing the song. You like see the horn player go. He was like, okay, so it's playing on a record, and it's the band's playing it too. <laughs> <laughs> is the band playing with the record? How loud is this speaker system yeah. in 1963 that they could hear the record player and the band? <laughs> I'm so confused by this movie. <laughs> All right, you're right. The, the crowd. Oh, but yet the crowd. The crowd should not have understood what they were hearing. What are no. these electronic sounds like? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what? what are you talking about? Wow. The Beatles aren't even in America yet. Yep, this is how all songs sound. Elvis does this all the time. Bobby Darren loves this song. Yeah, we're not going to go through a whole big period of people. Uh, resisting uh, these electronic sounds that are ruining music no. and yeah. uh, immediately popular. Everybody yeah. loves them as soon as they hear them. Oh yeah, no resistance. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna skip right over Led Zeppelin and just go right to 1987. Right. We're just gonna go. <laughs> just gonna go. Okay, we have Elvis. Uh, we have Be My Baby uh, and, and Otis Redding and Sam Cooke. And now we're 1987 and we're singing Hungry Eyes. <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts about Dirty Dancing before we move on? I I think that we haven't said nearly enough. Uh, (laughs) About Dirty Dancing? I I just wish that that the people could really see the state that you're in. I think this is really... Yeah, tell them what they're not seeing right now. This has shredded you. I've never seen your face so beet red. (laughs) You just had to get it out, but you're embarrassed at what came out. But he couldn't help it. He went on the Again. floor for a second. I'm looking at him on camera. He left frame completely. I didn't know where he went. <laughs> I was bent over. I was bent <laughs> over. I, again, I would watch the movie again in a heartbeat because it's just like a good hang. You're in the mountains. Yeah. Um, Wayne Knight is in it. Ooh. And, like, it's it's a fun hang. Yeah. It's just the, like, I just didn't think that was the plot. <laughs> I didn't think the plot was helping someone get an abortion. Yeah. Anyway, I had an awkward interview with Diane Keaton. You did. You did. And I, I, I didn't know people had seen it until I was in a Huffington Post article 
about all of her awkward interviews for this movie book club to the next chapter or something yeah that's what it's called congratulations congratulations thank you uh i don't i don't think this is a, like a career achievement for me <laughs> um i wanted to get into the huffington post i wanted the headline to say like diane keaton says the only person funnier than woody allen is danny <laughs> <It's> new, new. <laughs> i wanted to be like i dated al pacino but the only man who's more talented is danny, danny new <laughs> That I I I was in Warren I was in Red with Warren Beatty, but the only person more passionate about film is Danny New. <laughs> but instead, it's let me, because my parents sent it to me and they didn't even know that I was in the article. They were just like, "Hey, look, you weren't the only person that had a weird interview with Diane Keaton." Oh. And then I was like, "Do you know I'm in this article?" But they never say my name. They just keep saying the Denver Reporter. The Denver Reporter. I don't know. I guess that's not how you wanted to be in the Huffington Post either. Dan Keaton says that the most talented person that she knows, aside from Al Pacino, <laughs> is the Denver Reporter. The Denver Reporter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Denver, that's me. Okay, hold on. Where am I? I'm trying to find myself in this article. Oh, that was such a... I hate saying oh. that out loud. Yeah, what a thing to say. I don't say. care that I'm in the article. I just think it's funny because I thought... Here's what happened. I interviewed Diane Keaton. It was really awkward. Um, and I, I had seen interviews with her before where she's kind of, like, she doesn't play along with, like, yeah, I'm here to promote the movie. Let me talk about the movie. She's like, that's a weird question. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, she's just like herself. And I love that about her. I've always loved Diane Keaton. Yeah. I love her Annie Hall. I love her Someone's Gotta Give. She's great. Right. Um, I mean, okay. I think that made the in- interview really interesting, just to give my two cents. I mean, I think that made it really enjoyable, rather than just some... Yeah, I'm so excited about what's happening yeah, here. Yeah, my movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, it's great to be working. Wow. <laughs> <sighs> uh, so, okay, an interview with ABC affiliate Denver 7 also went off the rails when a reporter asked off a 77-year-old actor, is there any advice that you have for other people that are 70 and up for taking control of their lives? And then, none. Keaton quickly responded. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I... Um, played like 45 seconds of the interview on air and my my anchors were like making fun of me it was funny um but i figured since we have a podcast i should just play the whole thing yes and you can listen to it everyone at home listen to it because i haven't aired the whole thing um danny is this an exclusive this is exclusive content (laughs) established ip if you've seen this the clip um i didn't know that she like had this awkward interview and the view and on Kelly Clarkson and all these other interviews. I went and then like afterwards I was talking to the people that uh that like arranged the junket because it was like virtual junket. I was interviewing her about this movie. Uh this movie where she goes to Italy with Jane Fonda and two other women, Mary Steenberg and Candace Bergen, I think, um, for like a bachelorette party. They go to Italy. And I asked them, I was like, I'm so I said like I'm so sorry that was awkward and uncomfortable. And they were like, Nope, uh this is, like, a lot of the interviews have been really interesting. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, I got it. Not me. Okay. Let me just preface this by saying we had to do it twice because my internet stopped working the second the interview started the first time. So mm. the interview was incredibly awkward at the beginning because my internet broke and then we had to restart. And she said it's my fault, but she's joking. We're having fun. We're pals. And then 
at the end of the interview, my headphones like break or something, and suddenly I can't hear her or talk. So you're going to hear the interview. It ends the 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 out cue, the last line of the interview that you need to hear is her saying, "Are you married?" And okay. when she asked me if I'm married, that of course is the moment my microphone stops working, and I can't hear her. I didn't even know she said it until after when I watched it. Oh my gosh. And I was gosh. like, I, she asked if I was married and my sound stopped working. So the interview started and ended with technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, I'm, a prof- I'm a professional. Um, and it, it, it was awkward. It was uncomfortable. But it happened. And she's an icon and a legend. And this will forever be my interaction with her. That unfortunately was in the Huffington Post, along with other awkward interviews. Speedy, are you ready to press play with me at the same time? I could not be more excited to press play at the same time. <laughs> I just want to say, I have not watched this since. I I edited it for air. We aired like 45 seconds of it. That was a clip that went on Twitter the Huffington Post used. I really not wanted to watch this because it makes me uncomfortable because I, I spent like hours researching her and then I immediately threw all of it out the window. Wow. So I'm uncomfortable, but we can watch it. <laughs> Danny, I really respect your willingness to be a clown. You're like, this is really Thank humiliating you. for me. Let me show everyone. <laughs> I had all these questions prepared. Like, I love Annie Hall. I wanted to ask her about it. Got to none of it. None of it. Wow. I. And, like, <laughs> yes, it's being a Huffington Post is fun to say as a story, but when you work hard on something, you want it to go the way you hoped. But it's fine. We can, if you guys can laugh out of it, that's, I guess that's makes it not a failure. <laughs> Danny, you're not a failure. You're not a failure. I'm going to tell I, you that you're not a failure. Thank you. I'm, okay, you can press play. Now okay. that we know that I'm not a failure. Okay. One, two, three, play. Thanks, Keaton. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, it's your fault. It is. <laughs> I'm this lying. Is, it's, this is it's Danny New, fault. Denver 7. Waited my whole life to talk to you and for the internet to die at that exact moment. Yes. It was fantastic. <laughs> You're really, yeah, okay. Have a gift. Anyway, at yeah. the moment yeah. of death for the internet, I was asking you, because you filmed a movie in Utah that was set in Telluride, and I was wondering if you've ever taken a little trip to Colorado and you had good memories here up in the mountains. Yeah, it's beautiful, but I wasn't there very often, hardly at all. Um, okay. Yeah, I was sort of a California, where's the ocean person. <laughs> we don't have that here. Isn't this going great? No ocean. I, <laughs> giving you nothing so far. <laughs> well, thankfully, this movie uh, was in Italy live. where there is lots of water. Oh, you were there. Comfortable. You loved it. Did you like being there? To Ital- in Italy? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love Italy. Yeah. It's great. beautiful. But I've never been to Italy with Jane Fonda and Marion Candace, so... Do you have any favorite memories from bopping around one of the most beautiful places on earth with them? Yeah, of course. I mean, they had to be with me. They had no choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we worked around. You know, we were all going this place, that place, another place. And then when you had your time off, you could do anything you wanted, which was, luckily, we were in town, the big town. So you could go and sneak around, look at all those roads, those narrow roads, and even go into the museum. Tons of museums. You can go all over there. Every There's so much to see there. So I love it. I would like to go back and work there again if I had the opportunity, because that is great. Trilogy, maybe. Yeah. And go back. No, I don't think so. Do you? I don't think so. But who knows? You never know. 
I know in Italy they have like uh, squid pizza, they have horse pizza, but obviously you wouldn't eat that. You're vegetarian. But did you try any new foods you really liked when you were over there? Yeah, no horse pizza. (laughs) No horse pizza for Diane Keaton. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. No, I like fries. You know, I like the ordinary. I'm not exciting, but I do love food. I'm glad to eat. So I wanted to ask you because the trailer that everyone's seen ends with this really profound quote about. Uh, it says, how does a woman in her 70s get married? She takes control of her own destiny. And obviously, that doesn't have to necessarily mean getting married. But I love the idea of people in their 70s and beyond taking control of their lives, of their own destiny. Is there any advice you have for other people that are 70 and up for taking control of their lives? None. <laughs> no advice? No, no advice. None. Why not? Because what am I going to say? There's nothing. I mean, that's your choice. Which, you know, I'm what? No. Gee, do you want to hear what I think about, you know, what it's like to almost, you know, say goodbye to the life that we've been living and how old we are and things. I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm not good enough. I just stay to my small, little, tiny, minuscule world. Uh-oh. I don't well, see you smiling. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly funny, is it? Well, it's, it's just because you have inspired a lot of people. Even the movie Baby Boom, you inspired a lot of people. Like you have time and time again. Showing how people. Where do you get that? You think that's true? I don't think that's true. I don't but you've think inspired been, a lot of people. Of course you have. You're... In what way? I don't get it. Excuse me. <laughs> well, first of all, you stick to your interests. You love photography. I do. Right. You pursue passion. That's important in life. You never let go of that. So there's one way. Passion. Woo <laughs> Not passion. <laughs> Not okay. too much passion. Do you think? No. <laughs> Um, well, Diane Keaton, I only have a minute left. So a minute? I, I know. Oh, and I blew it for you. You didn't sorry. Blow it. I didn't help. <laughs> you didn't help at all. I mean, I just made a jerk. Well, uh, why I like you... you though. I mean, I think you're very charming and I know you're gonna be doing well, and you already do well. So you're great. You're in a good position. Thank you, you Diane Keaton. I, w- I believe that. Let them just let me say that. I well, I, I mean you're I'm... charming. Are you married? He's not going to talk to me anymore. You're not going to talk to me anymore? Uh Uh-oh. I think I blew it. Oh, darn. He's a good guy. All right. We're going to wrap Danny. I think his audio cut out. Interview with Diane Keaton, the That's extended incredible. cut. Incredible. Wow. Oh, I love I hated it. All of it. She asked oh. the question that could have been too far, and that's when it cuts out. Oh, I blew it. Oh, he I was a good it. guy, too. Like, I blew he's it. like, okay. Like, obviously, I'll treasure this forever in the sense that I had a unique experience and that she was unapologetically the Diane Keaton that I had heard about. And I was so excited to get a piece of that in my life. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for that. Oh, yeah. But to get to the, I have one minute left, which is usually the part where I'm like, oh my God, I have to get like my sound bite, you know? Yeah. Um, and she's just like, oh, I've been a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I should have given you something. Like she knows. Like, oh, yeah. She knows. I didn't answer any of your questions. Like she's aware of what she's doing. And she's suddenly like, apologetic about it has diane keaton ever done an interview before like it's just so funny like it like she 
like in a way like Nick Cage or Christopher Walken, like she's good for life. Like she's a content machine. Like everything she does is unique and entertaining and a fresh perspective. And she's a treasure. Oh yeah. A total treasure. Wow. And I, I mean, truly what a wonderful thing too, that even though this was an awkward interview, uh, you know, you would assume that like as the reporter, I don't know, I'm not a reporter, so I don't know, but I would assume maybe you'll be insecure, like, oh, am I going to be, do a good job for Diane Keaton? And she's like, no, you're, you're doing great. I'm, I'm just being a jerk <laughs> I, right I, now. I, I I'm the problem. I'm, uh, me, I, Diane Keaton, am the problem. <laughs> and I my messed favorite, it up. My favorite thing about the interview and how it went <laughs> is that it suddenly becomes like the easiest job on the planet, you would think. Which is, I suddenly, in two minutes, need to convince Diane Keaton that she's inspired people. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was surprising yeah, that, that she was surprised by she's that. Like, what? She's like, what have I done? I just live in my little world. Like, what are you talking about? You even ask her. Diane Keaton. I, I just kept saying her full name to be like, I don't think you're registering that you're Diane Keaton. Do you know you're Diane Keaton? Like, you're like an all-time. Right iconic actor do you know that like you were the first like uh i'm gonna say like one of the first quirky love interests in movies yeah you know what i mean like yeah right not not like put that on the map a glam gal in the way that some of the older she's cool movie stars she's like normal and down to earth and and very beautiful but like yes dresses her own way she does her own thing and whether or not like annie hall is, is her because i'm sure she is and isn't in a lot of ways even the name um i think is based on her but like she is unapologetically herself yes and now it's 77 she's so herself i can't even ask her one simple question was just like how's the movie <laughs> <laughs> or, or even small talk like oh like how how were the mountains or whatever yeah I like the ocean. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, see you in Italy. <laughs> Did you try anything cool? I like fries. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what was it like being there with the co-stars? Well, they had to be there with me. Yeah. They, Jane yeah. Fonda doesn't have a choice. Like, just say that you are with a bunch of other iconic actresses and it was neato. She's like, well, it was their prerogative. <laughs> God bless Diane Keaton. Like, Truly. I... That's Ugh. great. I mean, to me, that's such a better interview, even though nothing happened in it. I love. I know you think it. that. I really do. I know do. you think that. I know. But you like chaos. You like mystery uh, science things. I do like, like chaos. When things are a little different. I yeah. just wanted a nice sound bite so I could go to my producers and say, Diane Keaton said she loves Colorado. We can definitely play this on Denver television. And instead it was like, hey, guys, uh... I didn't get a single answer out of Diane Keaton, but I think that's the story. <laughs> Please trust me. I think you should trust me. Please care. I think you should care. Yeah, I promise you. Can, I, promise I promise you should, should care. care. I promise you should care. It's funny, um, but I'm uncomfortable the whole time because I planned all these questions and I didn't get to ask her any of them. Yeah, my favorite part, truly, I think, is the voice of the producer coming in at the end, like, oh, uh, yeah, we we lost the audio. We gotta stop." All right. Yeah, That's it is all done. It's a wrap. It started with the internet going out, ended with his microphone going out, 
And sandwiched in between there is uh, not a big Colorado person. She was forced to hang out with Jane Fonda in Italy, and she doesn't <laughs> think that she's inspired anybody. Back to you. <laughs> Take that and package it. <laughs> um, I do want to say, if it hasn't been said, uh, Diane Keaton, despite the fact that I wanted it to go a little more um, traditionally, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, I'm so glad that in my life I got four and a half minutes of you. And do I wish I prepared less? Yes. I'd like an hour <laughs> of my time back. Uh, but... <laughs> Something Wait, had forever. you known, you could have just yes. shown up. I would have done it differently nothing. in terms of preparation. <laughs> All I would have prepared was just being like, what's your favorite snack foods? <laughs> and she could talk about fries. Oh, you like uh, fries? But... Oh, thank God. Let's talk about that. Tell me. <laughs> well, <laughs> tell me everything. I just want something I... you're excited about, Diane. Fries? Okay, fine. Well, there was another quote from another interview. Let me find it. There were, this was a quote, another quote from a different interview. She said, she told the newspaper, I like tortillas. I buy tortillas, just the tortillas. I slap a bunch of stuff inside of it and I eat it and I love it. I love tortillas. End quote. That was a different interview. <laughs> for this movie. This is an interview for, for this movie. For this, this movie that takes... So now uh, we've, we've talked about two interviews she's done for this movie in Italy. She's talked about French fries and tortillas. Tortillas. <laughs> oh, I love you, Diane Keaton. All right. We've taken up so much time. Let me introduce this interview that I'm going to air at the end of this podcast. Uh, it's with Tommy James of Tommy James and the Shondells. I was interviewing him because he was coming to Denver uh, this past weekend. And uh, I reached out to his people and was like, hey, I can air a clip on our Denver morning show uh, if he answers the questions I ask. And um, then I'll play the rest in the podcast. And they're like, great. Uh, so if you don't know Tommy James and the Chantels, uh, he's the man behind a lot of hit songs that you know because they were he had like a lot of shelf life in the 80s. Like he wrote and sang Money Money, the Billy Idol song, you know, Money Money. Uh, he wrote and sang Crimson and Clover. Crimson and Clover, which Joan Jett covered. He uh, originated I Think We're Alone Now, um, which uh, Tiffany had like a number one hit with. So he's had a lot of covers that have gone well. He also had his first hit was a number one hit, uh, Hanky Panky, like, but his music career is insane. Like he, Morris Levy was the name of Roulette Records, the guy who signed him when he was like a teenager, and he was actually in the Mafia. Oh. And we talk about uh, like having a record person who eventually got convicted and went to jail, but he died before he was supposed to go to jail. But we talk about how he just got business with a, a record dealer who uh, was in the mafia, basically. And like he used his mafia power possibly to get him out of Vietnam. Uh, wow. He bullied all the other record labels for not signing him. Like It's a wild story. So if you know those songs and you're like, that's an interesting story. There is a movie coming out about him eventually. He has a book, but here's like a 25-minute interview where we just talk about what that's like and how crazy it was that it happened, even if it was 60 years ago. Speedy, any final thoughts before this interview about Tina Turner, Dirty Dancing, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> we didn't mention Bernie Toppin was in there. Go Elton John, people. Um, uh, uh, Diane Keaton or... Tommy James and the Shondells. Wow. 
uh, I'm just going to reflect on the beautiful tapestry that we have weaved. (laughs) 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 We are content machines. Content machines. Oh my god. This is is our longest. This is like, well, once we play the Tommy James interview, this is going to be our our longest episode. Our longest episode. Ever. And, and I texted you and was like, can we do like a 20 minute intro? And I'll just toss this out of interview. And we went an hour. <laughs> <sighs> you know, but it's all, we're just having fun. It's fun. If the, the tain keeps pumping <laughs> and we just keep going. Oh yeah. As long as there's tain, I'll keep pumping. And that's a promise. <laughs> tain to pump. Always tain to pump. And I promise you should care about that tain. I promise you should care. Uh, please care about this next segment, which is an interview with rock and roll icon from the 1960s, Tommy James. Tommy James, the hit machine, joins us now. I'm very excited. Tommy, I don't think there's anyone else who it's like, you are the king of, oh, wait, he sings that too? This guy sings everything. <laughs> I was when I, I was really excited you were coming on, so I showed you to my fiance and she was like wait i know all of these songs like you really churned out a lot of hits like how did you do that in such a short time span well i was very lucky uh the circumstances surrounding my uh initial success uh first of all we a record that i had made two and a half years before it was a hit hanky panky uh out of nowhere, broke out of Pittsburgh, a major market in 1960, spring of 66. And um, this was one of those only in America stories, you know, that um, that the record uh, ended up being the biggest record uh, that Pittsburgh had ever had up to that point. And um, it broke so big that it went everywhere else. We uh, they couldn't, they had a, a little kind of a crooked <laughs> um, record business in Pittsburgh, and they would take old records that nobody had ever heard of and bootleg them and sell them locally and play them as hits and, uh, that, and made a fortune that way. So they did that with Hanky Panky, and they couldn't keep it contained. And uh, so at any rate, we exploded out of Pittsburgh. And uh, they tracked me down and brought me into Pittsburgh uh, in uh, the spring of 66. And a week later, uh, after acquiring a new manager and uh, um, a local label there in Pittsburgh, uh, I went to uh, New York to, to get signed with a major label. And we got a yes from everybody. We got a yes from RCA and Epic and CBS and Kamasutra, and the last place we took the record to was Roulette Records, the label that I ended up signing with. And uh, of course, Roulette Records, um, strangely enough, was was not only a, a functioning label, but it was also a front for the Genovese crime family. We ended up writing a book about this called Me, the Mob, and the Music. And um, anyway, long story short, 
uh, all of the labels that had said yes the day before called me up the next day and said, listen, we got to pass. And I said, what are you talking about? I thought we had a deal. And finally, Jerry Wexler up at Atlantic uh, told me that uh, Morris Levy, the head of Roulette Records, had called all the other labels and backed them down, threatened them, basically, and um, uh, said, this is my record. Back off. And that's actually how he talked to. So uh, um, I was apparently going to be on roulette. And uh, sure enough, uh, but roulette then took the record to number one all over the country and all over the world. And uh, I, I can tell you right now that if we had gone with one of the majors, uh, with one of the corporate labels, we would have been probably lucky to be a one-hit wonder. Um, and the reason is because there would have been so much competition, say at Columbia or RCA, uh, that we would have hardly been noticed. And at Roulette, they actually needed us. And so uh, I, I was able, uh, over the span of the next 10 years or so, nine years, to learn my craft because uh, they didn't have anybody else to do it. I learned how to write my own songs, produce my own records. Um, uh, you know, design album covers, all this stuff. And um, so the bottom line was that if I had been with another label, I probably would not be here today because I doubt that we would have had anywhere near the kind of success we had on roulette. So God bless the crooks. <laughs> there is a valuable lesson in there. Not that you should always work with the mob, but that sometimes in life you shouldn't go with the biggest name, but maybe the people that want you the most, because they'll make you. Well, you're right. That's that's true. Uh, doing business with them was a, like taking a bone from a Doberman. I mean, it wasn't going to happen, but uh, we had a tremendous amount of success, and um, that wouldn't have happened anywhere else. I'm sure of it. We did 23 gold singles on roulette. Uh, nine platinum albums and about 110 million records uh, worldwide. So I, 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 I can't complain. And I, uh, I'm actually thankful that I was with him. Isn't there a story where he helped you get out of Vietnam? Yes, very true. How does a I'm always reluctant to pull that off? Well, you know, I'm always reluctant to tell the story because I don't want to get anybody upset with me. But uh, I was uh, relabeled 1A after being married with a child uh, uh, and getting divorced. And uh, suddenly I'm uh, open to being drafted, which would have happened. It, would start, it did happen. And I went for my physical uh, the day or the, the two days after I did my first Ed Sullivan show. And um, Morris uh, was on the board of directors of the Chemical Bank in New York, if you can believe that. You talk about the, the fox garden, the chicken coop. Um, but at any rate, his, his best friend on the board of directors was the head of selective service in New York. 
So um, I'm not sure exactly what he did, but when I went to take my physical, I ended up getting a 4F and nobody was getting a 4F. That means you'll never hear from us again. And uh, I, nobody was more shocked than me. And so, uh, uh, you know, he probably, it was a good chance he saved my life. So anyway, I'm, I've always been very thankful for that. If, if for no other reason, that was a good reason to be on roulette records. <laughs> so bottom line is that, I mean, there's lots of stories like that. Um, Morris, um, you know, made it happen for me. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful and puzzled in a lot of ways that uh, I ended up on roulette and doing business like that. I certainly didn't plan on it. In fact, I didn't even know what roulette was involved in until I had signed with them. And I started seeing famous gangsters that I saw on TV on the news uh, hanging out in Morris's office. Um, I mean, I, it never failed. I would, I'd meet, Morris would introduce me to somebody in his office and I'd shake hands and a week later, I'd see him on TV doing the perp walk in handcuffs, uh, you know, out of a out of a warehouse in New Jersey someplace. And uh, so it's not the guy we just met up at Morris's office, and it would be. So uh, you know that sort of thing kept happening, and uh, I finally uh, realized, you know, what we were involved in. So that's kind of how it happened for me. As someone who grew up in New Jersey, like obviously the story checks out, but I would never imagine this happened in the music industry. That's where you're like, really? Thought it was always like cement or an exotic dance club or like a laundromat, but it's never the music business. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the entertainment business was riddled with gangsters. Vegas was, you know, unbelievable. It's not like that so much anymore, but, uh, you know, jukeboxes and vending machines and nightclubs, uh, this was all part of it. And the record business, uh, at least at Roulette, was ground zero. Uh, a lot of these guys loved hanging out at Roulette. They loved the action. They, they you know, uh, all I can say is that I got a real education, both learning my craft in the record business because they were a valid and a pretty good little independent record company. So, uh, and Morris really had good ears. I mean, he could hear hits. I mean, he really was good. So all of this stuff was so crazy. And uh, uh, as I said, that's what the book that, that we put out several years ago, Me, the Mob and the Music was all about. So you are coming to Colorado on Saturday to play at the Paramount Theater. During that time, or since then, have you played in, at Red Rocks at all or any other venues around Denver in Colorado? Uh, it's been a long time since uh, I played Denver. Uh, I've played some of the surrounding areas, but I haven't played Denver in a very long time. And we're, of course, at the Paramount Theater, and uh, it's a nice venue. It's a great place to see a show and um, um, it's going to be fun the fans out there are crazy 
rock and rollers. And uh, <laughs> uh, so it's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to it. Do you have any routines that you still use, like for every show the last sixty years that you do to warm up, or any superstitions that you need any special or lucky socks you have to wear anything like that <laughs> uh well i gotta make sure my guitar's in tune that always helps that's good that's and good. Uh, and uh uh but you know and we we do go out into the audience during the show and that's something that i've always done and um you know we play as many of the hits as we can cram into um an hour and a half, and uh, uh, we actually do a new version of I Think We're Alone Now, uh, which is going to be in the movie, and the movie of the book. And When's that uh, coming it's going to be a closing credit. Well, we're probably talking about another 18 months to two years. You know, Hollywood was, was shut down during COVID, and it's up again now, but it's at a slower pace, and it's coming back. Uh, so uh, our uh, producers, Barbara Defina, who produced Goodfellas and Casino and Hugo with Martin Scorsese a few years ago, and just a great string of movies. And she's producing our film. And um, uh, Kathleen Marshall is directing. And the screenplay is being written by Matthew Stone, or has been written already. And so they're in the casting phase now, and it's uh, fun watching it all come together. Uh, I must say, uh, every one of these technical people, you know, the, the, the assistant directors and all the technicians on the show uh, are all stars in their own right. So it's, I'm, I'm very impressed with Barbara, uh, our producer, for pulling it all together and uh, getting these people um, with us all at the same time. It's quite a chore. Uh, I'm going to be co-producing in the film. And uh, uh, watching it all come together is really a trip. It's really fun. And uh, it's great seeing it all happen. And there's going to be, of course, a lot of music. It's going to be uh, a dramatic film uh, with music in it rather than uh, a jukebox, uh, what they call a uh, a jukebox player, a jukebox movie. Right. I, uh, it'll be more like be... like Jersey Boys was like a a movie that had a lot of music, but also showed the mafia ties that they went through with Tommy DeVito. Well, that's that's quite true, and uh, so I'm I'm very excited. And they're talking about doing a, a musical after uh, uh, after the film, so that's going to be fun watching all the mob guys dance <laughs> and their pinstripes <laughs> and uh, yeah yeah and uh, so long story short uh, it's it's quite a project from the book the movie and the and the, and the play so i'm very thrilled to have it and very honored and flattered to have it all happen well like i mentioned at the top i think a lot of people will be surprised just how many songs you had a part of because a lot of your songs have been covered later and they had like a whole new life a couple decades after you recorded like Moni Moni which became this huge massive song it gets played in sporting arenas every day and from eventually Billy Idol covered it but of course you had a huge 
hit with it as well. And I want to get this out there because not everybody knows this, that maybe Moni Moni in the song is a person, but it really came from an insurance company. Because you you are one of the kings, like you and ABBA, the Beals do this, where like, you're really good at hearing a phrase and being like, oh, that, that that's a cool phrase. I can make music with that phrase alone. Well, that's true. You know, as a songwriter, you're always on the make for interesting word combinations that, that are musical and are visual. And uh, with Moni Moni, um, we were, I, I was, we were trying to put it, you know, an old fashioned rock and roll song together. This is 1968. And uh, we wanted to put, you know, a la Gary U.S. Bonds and Mitch Ryder and those kind of records. Uh, we wanted to create one. So we went in the studio and banged out a three chord thing and started making tape loops of it and gluing it all together. And um, at the end of about three weeks, we had this uh, great little track together. And it was the track to Mo that became Moni Moni. And so we wrote sort of silly lyrics and nonsensical phrases. And the night before I was supposed to go in and do the lead vocal, we had all the song written except for the title. <laughs> and we just couldn't come up. You know, everything we came up with sounded so stupid. We're looking for a girl's name, you know, like Sloopy or Boney Maroney or something like that. Richie Cordell, my songwriting partner, and I were up at my apartment in, in Manhattan. And we threw our guitars down, went out on my terrace and lit up cigarettes. And uh, we look up and I, just looking at the nighttime sky in, in New York. And the first thing our eyes fall on is the Mutual of New York Insurance Company. Gave you the time and the weather and the dollar sign in the middle of the O. And we just start laughing because M-O-N-Y, Moni was the perfect name that we were looking for. We just started laughing. And uh, it was like, God, just here's the title. And I, <laughs> I, you know, I've often said it. if we'd have been looking in the other direction, uh, that could have been the name. The title could have been Hotel Taft real easy. <laughs> we were desperate. So uh, equitable, maybe. <laughs> Have you met anyone so, named Moni? At any rate, uh, that became the title. And uh, yes, I have. People have named their kids Moni. I've met several girls that were named Moni. And uh, sometimes it was like an abbreviated Monica, but Moni is, is, is actually a name now. But what I'm saying is that... Um, that became that became the title, and uh, it sounds like it was made up by a press agent, but it's a true story. <laughs> um, well, my favorite song by you is "I Think You're Alone Now" because I, I, I know um, you didn't initially write it, but you definitely made it your own and changed the tempo a lot, and tempo and made it what it is. But what I like about that song is that it's from the mindset of young people, and I feel like. A lot of the music around that time in the mid 60s was trying to like ignore the culture that was rising. And like that song was perfectly from the perspective of kids that, you know, were a little more active than parents were giving them credit for. Well, I, I learned a lot making that record. Uh, 
I Think We're Alone Now was uh, written by Richie Cordell. We went, when it was first presented to me, it was, uh, but you could hear that it was a monster record it's made, right? So we went in the studio, we brought the speed of the record up and I, I was playing guitar and that's where we got the eighth notes, staccato eighth notes. That, doom, 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 doom. That's where that came from. And so, uh, and we recorded the master Christmas Eve day, um, 1966, and stayed on the charts for almost six months. We released it during Christmas week of 1966. And what a great Christmas present that turned out to be. <laughs> and of course, Billy Idol with Moni Moni, right, right, right beside him, I think we're alone now, by Tiffany was released the exact same week. And they went up the charts like they were holding hands. And <laughs> um, they both went number one, one week apart. You know, Moni Moni, I think, uh, uh, went uh, number one first and had its run. And then Tiffany, with I think we're alone now, went number one right after Moni Moni in 1987. That had never happened before. So that was a, a wild moment. And then... Joan Jett's cover of Crimson and Clover went to number seven. So do you have the record? Like, has anybody covered this to feel like if you have, like, the most top ten hits that were covers later? I'll have to check that out. We sure had a lot of them, and I'm uh, really very – I'm very honored and flattered when um, another artist does one of my songs. I really am. I We've had, you know – Crimson and Clover, for example. We've had everyone from Prince to Dolly Parton uh, do um, Crimson and Clover remakes. And um, uh, it's just been amazing. We have, we've had over 350 uh, major artists uh, doing our songs, do covers of our songs. And so I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. I'll check out and see what the, what the record is, but, uh, it's, it's right up there. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, that you appreciate it and you're, you're grateful that they've, they've kept the songs and brought them to new audiences. And yeah. I can be confident that people my age know your music, which I don't know if you saw this, but last week, the first ever song from the 1960s hit a billion hits on Spotify. It hadn't happened yet. And it was Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. Is so, that right? Yeah, it was the first song from the 60s. So like, I know for a fact that people my age know your music. And I can't say that about a lot of artists from the 60s. Well, look, uh, we've been so... The, the, the fans and the good Lord have been very, very good to us. And honestly, uh, from... Everything we get, every project we get involved in, we've got a, a, a nice fan base that uh, travels with us. I mean, my radio show on, on Sirius, Sirius XM every week, uh, has a huge audience all over the world. And, and it's, it's our fan base that starts it out. And uh, we've, been, we've been doing it for six years now. And um, so that's, that's a big, big deal to me. And it's, it was a wonderful way, the radio show. We're on every, uh, if I can plug myself here. Please, yes, we're on, on six. Every, on six. Uh, uh, we're, on, we're on every Sunday 
from 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern time um, on channel 73, 60s gold. It used to be 60s on 6. They, they moved to 73. We've moved up in the world. I'm not sure we moved up or down. I'm not sure how you <laughs> categorize that. But at any rate, uh, I'm climbing more stairs up to up to channel 73. Um, and we've been doing it for six years. And it's, it was such a wonderful way to stay in touch with the fans uh, during COVID, for example. And uh, now uh, with, the, with the satellites, we're hitting all of North America. Uh, uh, and and with the uh, the app now we're all over the world with the show. So I'm I'm amazed and uh, again very honored and flattered. Well, I'm very flattered and grateful to be talking to you. Can I ask you one random ridiculous question, Tommy James? Do it. Have you ever considered suing Chili's for kind of ripping off your? your bass riff with their baby back rib song. It's like, the, I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. And it kind of sounds just like the bass line from one of your songs. Dragon the line. Yeah. Dragon the line. Yeah. Have you ever had this thought uh, before? Actually, I had the thought, but we've gotten much more mileage out of the commercial. <laughs> so I let it, I let it just go. Um, you know, we that happens a lot, and that's okay. Uh, I really uh, uh, don't have a problem with that sort of thing. I don't like getting direct directly ripped off, but that's sort of an indirect thing. And I, again, I, I'm honored to have it happen. Okay, I just wanted to know if it was just me. Maybe if I need the money someday, I'll do it. <laughs> Okay, yep, but the movie's coming out, you'll be fine. But I, I just wanted to know if you had also had this thought from the Baby Back Ribs commercial that it sounded like Dragon the Line. Well, I'm, I'm glad you dig it. <laughs> I had the thoughts. I'm saying, like, your music is so pervasive all the time. I'm hearing it everywhere. I'll tell you, I think becoming part of the landscape is the greatest honor they can give you. I mean, that that is... You can't ask for any more than that than to become part of the landscape. And uh, that's how I think it's, it, it has happened over the years. Well, I, I'm very honored to talk to you. I know you have a very busy life, so I don't want to take up any more of Tommy James's time. But we're very excited to have you here in Colorado, and I was very grateful to talk to you. And my dad worships you, so he says hello as well from Cedar Grove, New Jersey. <laughs> Tell him I said hi. I will. Dad, and if you're thank listening. You. <laughs> thank you for a great interview. You take care of yourself, Dan. Thank you, Tommy James.